Welcome to the Payments Experts Podcast, a podcast of global legal law firm. ISOs, fintech, payfax, agents, merchants, processors, acquiring banks, and card brands. If these terms mean something to you, this podcast is for you. If these terms aren't so familiar, this podcast is even more for you. We hope you enjoy this episode of PEP, the Payments Experts Podcast. Welcome to the Payments Experts Podcast. Today, our kickoff episode, we have Christopher Dryden, the founding and managing partner of Global Legal Law Firm, as well as James Huber, partner of Global Legal Law Firm. Gentlemen, welcome. Today, we are talking about surcharges. This is our first podcast, so we've been cued to say how excited we are to be here. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> so, so surcharging is all... All the rage right now. Well, and little, literally Actually, the rage. Been. It has been for well, a long time. But people are pissed. Yeah. I'm getting calls saying we'll fund a class action against Visa and MasterCard. Yeah. Well, I think that that's a pretty emotional reaction to the whole thing. But, you know, I I, I, I agree. It's all the rage. Uh, I was at Northeastern Acquirers Association conference in Boston a couple weeks ago. And this is all that anybody wanted to talk about. Because Visa was actually, uh, I think they were having meetings there uh, with some of the larger players. Um, I think one of the important things that we can go, and I don't care the order that we roll through this, but, you know, historically, which I think you really wanted to start on about surcharging and kind of like its genesis, how it evolved, you know, kind of some of the other things that came into the marketplace that are similar to surcharging, but those have also been curbed over time. Um, You know, I think that, I think that's important, but overall, yeah, people are really concerned because this has been a really good source of mar- profit margin for at least most of our clientele, which is ISOs. Well, I know when it started, we were, it was like 2010 and we were representing, you know, the company that started doing discounting and everybody hated it. You know, they'd sell it to a merchant and they'd end up getting, you know, 10 bad Yelp reviews because they'd go, hey, my $2.50 cup of coffee now costs two seventy five. I'm pissed. It's your fault, ISO. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, that's the thing, too. You know, we could sit and talk about, inter- I mean, we were, before we were even on this call, we were talking about, you know, interchange and who eats it and, you know, where people operate. I mean, one of the problems is, you know, North American Visa MasterCard interchange rates are extremely high in comparison to the other regions. You know, Europe, it's what, 1% for a lot of like, the internet? last like 0. 0.7, and here it's 2 point, gets up to 2.7. Totally, and I think that's part of one of the problems in this is because there's, you know, you have this huge acquisition arm in the ISO world, but, like, their profit margin is being constantly condensed over and over, and sometimes it's, you know, through market forces, sometimes it's through – quasi-regulatory forces being the card brands, you know, this is, I mean, this is all card, the, recently this Visa, which is going to spread to the, you know, MasterCard, Amex, anybody else, this is all, you know, oversight driven more than anything else. Right. And so what we're talking about right now, in case anybody doesn't know, but, you know, anybody listening to this podcast probably does know, is Visa's set, put a cap on what you can surcharge. And yeah. it's not going to cover the fees. 
Well, it's gonna, I mean, it would cover the fees if there was no margin for the ISO. Totally, and that's really where the issue comes in. Is you know, our firm represents. You know, more recently, we've you know started to represent a larger you know part of the the user base in payments. But traditionally, we've always represented the the sales arm or the acquisition arm, and ISOs are constantly having to figure out how they can keep profit margins. I mean, when we first got into this business. You know, a lot of people used uh, enhanced billback or ERR, and there was a, you know, most people made money on downgrade surcharge where they sold a qualified rate but didn't really explain the fact that there was a downgrade associated with rewards cards. And no one looked. That's right. And then, you know, over time, as this, you know, as merchants are being charged three and a half, four percent, and they're having to take that out of their own profit margin, there's been a move to figure out how you can lessen that amount. One being cash discount, which came into the marketplace. And then another one was you started to get organizations out there that started to rail against the legislative prohibitions in certain states like California. We, you know, we always said this because we take credit cards for our law firm. You know, California for the longest time had a prohibition. We couldn't actually add a surcharge to any of the credit card charges. And it was something that we had to take out and just sort of eat. So we understood it just as well as anybody else. So I think it's kind of been like twofold. And cash discounts also had barriers placed on it, you know, for entry into the marketplace. You know, I don't know how you want to parse that out, but we can stay on surcharge for now. But, you know, when surcharge became permitted, uh, you know, whether it was through court intervention or it was through lobbying in the states where, you know, the legislature had banned it, as surcharge came on, and technologies rolled into this space, technologically, people have been able to offer alternative payment channels and truly surcharge. So like now all those businesses that just focused on check and ACH can offer card solutions and you've got ISOs coming in and it's all technology based and they've been banking on the fact, well, hey, I can do a surcharge here, my interchange here. Now they're looking at missing, you know, 50 basis points on millions of dollars of volume and you know everything that they've built is just with you know kind of an arbitrary hey we're going to cap it at three percent with not really any sort of reason why yeah well i know the reason why i mean i think i know the reason why is visa doesn't want everyone to know how much they're charging you know this it's been shown this can be done and still be like insanely lucrative charging one percent for visa and mastercard but if you're charging three, four, five, six, you know, an online merchant, you know, you're ultra high risk. You might be paying 14 percent and they don't want anybody to know. I mean, I think that's their whole problem with surcharging and discounting is it's, hey, guess what, everybody? It costs three percent or four percent to do to process your cards. I don't want anyone to know that because can be way lower well and the question is, is then they have to like actually tell us what the three to four percent really goes to well, you know? i know yeah well, yeah, yeah, well we goes. know yeah <laughs> but i like goes to a lot of profit margin for anybody out there who doesn't really know i mean this is an interesting part about the industry that we operate in and most people sort of take it for granted because these guys have been in the space since the inception of cards i mean you go back to the knuckle busters it's always been visa mastercard I, like as this industry has grown there used to be a real purpose for the industry. But with technology, the costs related – let me restate that. There used to be 
additional cost for the purpose of Visa MasterCard. Right. As technology's grown, the ability to actually reduce the cost through technology, machine learning, figuring out how to reduce fraud, even though the fraudsters get smarter, the technology outsmarts the fraudsters and puts safety precautions in, that cost doesn't mean as much. We have an industry that we operate in. By the way, we're thankful to operate in it. But we have an industry that we operate in that literally it's for-profit companies regulating all the card acceptance of every business practically in America. Right. Isn't that just crazy? Like we're not talking about the government doing that. We're talking about the unspoken governmental delegation of an entire industry for for for-profit companies publicly traded that have inherent conflicts and how they operate. I and mean, amazing lobbying budgets too. Yeah, that was an, so. Coming on to this, a very interesting thing. We were talking about Visa Mastercard in another context recently. We were talking about franchise law and and whether or not they're subject to franchise laws, which is a whole other conversation that we might be able to have sometime. But in certain states that have franchise laws that they've legislated, you know, over and above the federal standard, yeah, these guys have already lobbied to have a carve out. Right. I mean, I don't see I don't see a lot of change happening here. So people are going, what can we do? You know, and <laughs> I'm going, it's a lawsuit. I mean, there was a lawsuit, a big one that kneecapped these guys. I think it was one of the biggest settlements of all time. You know, it's my, still ongoing. Still ongoing. Yeah. My, well, you know, my brother-in-law's brother <laughs> works at that firm and they touted on their website of, you know, one of the biggest settlements of all time, all time. And it's ongoing. And it touched on this. And so there's a potential that this is violating their own settlement, too, because they're saying, no, merchants have the right to surcharge in that settlement. That was part of the settlement. But what was that right? Now they're, I feel like, inching in, you know. So if we give them that inch, what, where does this go next? Well, yeah. That's everybody's concern. And they're going, can you at least file an injunction? And a lot of it is because many of our clients have built very lucrative business models based on surcharging and discounting. And now that margin's shrinking. You know, when you could walk into your merchant and say, you know, zero cost, and it's not zero cost, but, you know, very low cost processing, that went away. And now, once again, we're in a race to zero. Well, it's the same thing with cash discount. I mean, remember when it came into the marketplace, the question was, well, how does it work? Is there a surcharge and then the deduction? Yeah. You know, I mean, and is that really surcharging or are you just offering? And now it's had, there was a New York case like five or six years ago. I can't tell you the name of it. Um, actually learned about it from one of the attorneys at Venable a long time ago because I think he litigated on it. And the interesting part was that New York came out and said, oh, well, yeah, you can do cash discount. And this is at least the state versus the card brands. You can do cash discount, but you have to have dual pricing, you know, like, so if, you know, if you have dual pricing, you have to show, okay, what's the actual cost and then what's the cash discount cost. And then the question, you know, the question I posed to him was, well, what happens if I have a website and I'm just out in the ether? And he says, well, look, if people in New York can see your website, you got to have dual pricing. You got to have it. And Visa adopted that. They said the gas ma- the gas station model is the perfect model. And I'm going, well, how does that work for inside the gas station? Totally. You know, the last time I bought a bag of Skittles, it was 50 cents. Granted, that was 
25 years ago, but I looked the other day and I lied. That's not the last bag of Skittles I bought. But the last time I looked at the price of the bag of Skittles, it was like four bucks or something. So these prices are moving. So what you're having to run and do your stickers. And they've even said, so, you know, people got ahead of this, you know, our clients, they're all, you know, very intelligent. And one of the reasons we like this industry is because they're all have their head on a swivel and are figuring out ways to make more money and, you know, build bigger businesses. They put it on the POS system side by side. Okay. Here's your price, cash price. There you go. I've got it. They said no to that. They said no to that. And I've heard merchants getting fined. Oh yeah. It's happening. No, I actually, I heard, I heard this recently, um, that Visa's sending out a whole bunch of secret shoppers related right. to that. And and I had asked, are they just doing it online through G2? Or are they doing it? No. Store? No, they're going phys- into physical stores. And snapping pictures totally. of that Skittles bag saying, yeah. where's my discount price yeah, so or now my you, surcharge price? Now you have zero clarity. You have people building technology around what they believe is an acceptable practice. And in addition to the surcharge cap, Visa has come out. I think it was Visa specifically. And said, it, you have to have for every single product that you sell, at the point of the of the consumer seeing the product, right? The price that is the credit price has to be listed there. Well, think of the, I mean, just the mechanics of having to put those up. And you know, if you go into the beer aisle, you know, they have little sliding prices that they put in. So it's going to get too confusing. What I see is. You know, you kind of said it, there's secret shoppers out there. They're creating a ecosystem of fear. Don't don't do it, basically. And I think they're achieving their goal in large part, even though I hear, you know, most people are saying we're just going to keep doing this anyways. Um, well, it becomes really arbitrary in the enforcement, right? I mean, like, who do they go to to enforce it? It's not equal enforcement. It's, you know, you, you're just creating this moving standard that, Sometimes it's enforced, sometimes it's not. It's sort of like driving on the freeway, right? It says 70 on the sign. I'm driving through the desert 75. The cop's right there. He doesn't stop me. He sees me like. Can you talk a little bit about potential solutions? Are there solutions? Which way do you see the industry going to answer this, you know, these new caps? Well, I I, I personally believe that the solutions come from the marketplace and then there's a correction. This is what we've seen the entire time that we've been in this. Like, you know, ca- cash discount, we just described. People were doing it. It was attacked as, oh, what if you're going to do cash discount? You can't actually raise the price and then do the cash discount because right. you're surcharging. Right. right. There are people that have been trying to undo what the marketplace is providing as a solution to either maintain profit margin or at least keep it from shrinking as much as it, it possibly will. And the same thing has happened with surcharging because it was very interesting. Initially, when surcharging, like kind of when the, the floodgates opened with it, it was like, yeah, you can surcharge. You can surcharge up to 4%, but you couldn't surcharge up to 4%. So because some states had a law that said that you were capped right. either at your surcharge. Like Colorado, even today, you can't charge more than 2%. On a transaction, and they and 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 when the lobbyists were trying to get the ban repealed, the middle ground was, "Hey, like, thanks for the two percent, but why can't we charge the actual cost?" Right. And and for credit transactions, there's a backstop that allows 
okay, if it exceeds 2% because the actual cost on credit, like we were talking about with interchange, is greater than 2%, then you can charge up to that amount. The problem with that is, is that interchange is never the same for every transaction. It's not. You know, I mean, and so how do you actually quantify that? But it seems like people are looking for solutions all the time. I mean, we have a client that built, they specifically went out and went to um, insurance companies because insurance companies have largely been checked forever. And some insurance companies want to offer the ability for another, uh, you know, another payment channel like card acceptance, but they don't, debt collections the same way, but they don't want to eat into the profit margins because the profit margins are already small enough but they want to offer flexibility for the customer. So when you look at the customer, you're like, yeah, I have this alternative payment channel. There's going to be like a, you know, a nominal amount of money. They built technology simply to move the customer into their environment to do the transaction, right? In a secure and safe place. And they built based on interchange associated with those types of transactions, they built a pricing model, which wasn't crazy, and now it just got gutted by 66% because now Visa wants to arbitrarily say that there needs to be a cap. To put the cap on it. And I think that, I mean, as far as what what the solution is, I, it's a difficult solution because during COVID, I feel like the, you know surcharging blew up. And it's under the guise of, you know, this is protecting the, the consumers. The regulation is, right? And the consumers during COVID, they're going, hey, I've got to support small business, you know, whatever it takes. And I'm sitting on my couch. Oh, my God, this is, this is amazing. I'm getting stuff delivered to my door. I'm getting all of this stuff. I'll pay a premium for this. This makes sense. As we get further from that and everybody's back out in the world, I think that the regulation can go back to that stance of, you know, we're protecting the consumers from paying these exorbitant fees. But I don't buy it. I don't think that the consumers care as much as they maybe did before that you realize, oh, this actually costs them money to take the cards. Well, that's the whole thing. The consumers will stop using the cards and then Visa MasterCard make less money. That's the biggest problem. So, you know, this the solution is peer to peer and cut Visa and MasterCard out of it. And now our podcast is canceled. Well, maybe. Uh, well, 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 hopefully not everybody out there, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, I think that that's the interesting part. And it's not it, it's not an easy dance, right? There has to be a balance throughout. Like, you can claim that you're trying to do consumer protection through your cardholders, but what about your merchants? What about your merchants? And, and this is where I say that there's these inherent conflicts of interest where you have the card brands sitting and there's two sides to the industry. That- and the big merchants, the huge box stores. I mean, I, I give the example when we're giving training. You know, nobody processes direct to Visa and MasterCard except for humongous organizations like the Olympics. Um, but Walmart. The, uh, they're they're not direct to even though. Yeah. They, I, are I, they direct? I think they are now. Even yeah. if they're not, the huge stores, they have a much lower interchange rate, almost zero, not interchange rate, but, you know, markup on interchange rate, almost zero. So they're, you know, it's the small merchants that really take the hit here. Oh, without a small doubt. Small to midsize. Without a doubt. That's why you see states like Massachusetts. I don't know if there's another one, but Massachusetts has an interesting law where their consumer protection 
statute actually encapsulates small business. Wow. They don't really define small business, but basically like you kind of got co-opted in. Yeah. Well, I mean, most con- even I think federally consumer includes business now. So you go back to Hobby Lobby, so, you know, corporations are people. So um, that I mean, and that's our client's bread and butter. Most of our clients aren't out there trying to get Walmart's business. No, um, yeah, no, no. I mean, this is this. Well, I would say our clients are getting more sophisticated with technology, but even then, this, excuse me, this uh, this does affect technology as well. I mean, it it. I guess I guess the cap by Visa to me is short sighted in the sense that it doesn't really try to balance the hardships of everyone. It just makes a decision based on Visa's bottom line. I think it's making a decision based on creating an atmosphere of fear of stop surcharging. This is blowing up. Everybody's doing this. It's only a matter of time until someone other than, you know, Mr. Durbin comes and starts asking some questions to us. Yeah, which I think those are really important questions, too. I mean, I think that this is one of those situations where if there was another game in town, it would make a difference. Right. But it doesn't. I mean, it's very difficult for us to find electronic payment processing outside of the card brands because they're the that's that's what's used even if i'm outside of it i just got off a call with an offshore bank saying you know we're coming into the space i'm going yeah but everybody still every wallet still either says visa or mastercard or discover i mean i i, I, I don't know if i've ever seen a discover card but i know they exist they exist yeah, i've they seen exist. them yeah, yeah totally or amex but they sit on their own they and, sit on yeah. their own so the the only real way out is issue everybody cards that don't say visa and mastercard on them yeah and i'm not really sure how that would how would fly. you what would your distribution channel be i mean you'd have to go to all the banks well the distribution channel is still the the rails right i mean like how do you well, you get off the rails. You go to a peer-to-peer. Yeah, if you if you can afford to build it. But, and so and how do you build so, trust in that? Right? How do you build trust in that? Exactly. So, you know, let's say I went to Chase Bank or Wells Fargo or something and well, said, hey, Chase has been this. Chase has been talking about doing this. Well, like, they're, they're talking about having the closed loop, and that was supposed to have come out already. I think they partnered with Ripple, yeah, I, didn't they? Is that true? Yeah, I think, I, I think they did. Well, I have a... a I'm uh, doing a panel next week with Ripple. Maybe he'll tell me. Um, but That's a podcast in the future there, people. No, it's not a podcast. It's a presentation at the American Bankers Forum, and which will be interesting to talk about crypto in an American Bankers Forum because the, it'll probably be nobody in there. They'll be scared. Their bank will get shut down if they attend that. It's interesting at NEAA, Scott Talbot spoke, and I always like to see Scott because he gives a really fresh perspective on kind of macro stuff. And he he said that crypto is like two years out from having like real legislation around it. That's not that far. No, it's not. But he said that there's other things on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. There was another one that was interesting to me, which will be another podcast at some point. But And it kind of dovetails in with what we're talking about. You know, there's also interchange being made on sales tax. Right. Which I think is just unbelievable because, hey, you guys are making interchange on money that isn't even part of the transaction except uh-huh. for the fact that there's sales tax that has to be appended to the to the transaction amount. The fact that Visa MasterCard can make money off that seems, you know, and, and I understand their logic behind it, but – at the same time, like the sales tax component of it could be, you know, you know, addressed differently. There's a company called Davo Technologies that does that. And they like, 
integrate with a bunch of POS systems. And I've never really looked into the technology, but I think that that's interesting that there is being money being made on interchange for amounts that are government amounts. Before we wrap up, I've got a question because I'm not totally clear on this. Does the surcharge cap apply to the cash discount, debit discount? Well, the surcharge cap, no. Technically, no. it does not. No. But I, I, I can almost guarantee they'll bleed it over. They'll try, but I, but I, I agree. Like, there's not to debit, but to to credit to, card discounting. Yeah, it would apply. Yes. So if I'm cash discounting, I need to be running it as a debit using my pen. Yeah, but even then, there's a cost of the transaction. There's a cost of the transaction, but do I, I, I could do it pinless debit and still discount it and have it not apply to the credit card transaction. Again, you're going to need to have a very sophisticated piece of technology that's going to be able to decipher. Well, that that already exists. You split it off. You know I, the original. Yeah, cash but if discounting. I'm a consumer now, I've made it even more complex for me to figure out like where I get my bargain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you know, because mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much a normal consumer would be listening to this conversation and have any clue what we're talking no. about. Yeah, I wonder as we move forward. I got two questions for you, gentlemen, before we move on out here. The first one is I don't think we've really touched on this yet. I've heard it sounds like you guys are kind of talking around the idea that there may be some lawsuits out there related to this. Are they happening? Where are they coming from? Where do you guys see them coming from soon? It would be, I mean, they, the states that did this, they went at a free speech. And Visa is not a governmental organization, so it's going to be a different standard. Um, it's a private organization. Uh, but those lawsuits, you know, baking the cake and stuff have all come down Um I won't say on the right side, but on the side of that um, Visa would probably lose. Yeah, I I think it's just going to take somebody to un, understand the mousetrap and kind of start to deconstruct where there's just unfair business practices taking place. Problem is, is that when you have to monitor and try to create equitable behavior among all the participants and what you are what you've built and operate. There's just, like I said, there's inherent conflicts here between the issuing side and the acquiring side. And if there's not a harmony that makes sense for everybody, which when you just come out with a cap without a lot of like reasoning or, you know, or findings associated with it, I think it's a lot harder for it not to be susceptible to attack, but you're going to need people that can really understand the infrastructure that's in play here to know exactly where, there's uh, potential harm where there doesn't need to be, right? I mean, that would really rise to the level of an unfair trade practice. You know, it's going to have to come under some sort of uh, probably like anti-competitive or, you know, antitrust type statutes. Where They've already beat those, though. I mean, they already have a humongous monopoly on the entire processing industry. So my... I haven't looked at these, but I imagine they've already beat those lawsuits. But as far as pushing regulations on people, I mean, they've always been doing that. Yeah, but the purpose of the interchange is to combat fraud, to create an environment where people can 
operate and use card acceptance and have this electronic ledgering system and have the opportunity to buy things on sort of a short-term credit. And the purpose of it is to really create stability to that environment. I don't know where the cap on surcharging, like let the market figure out who they want to buy things from and who they don't or what cards they want to use. This is a little bit of an overreach. Yeah, I think it's an overreach. So yeah, I mean the, the cause, the exact causes of action, I don't have them listed out, but they exist. And I think you could really give these guys a run for our money. And that's why our phone is ringing of people saying, we'll fund it, we'll fund it. But this is not, uh, you know, your, your everyday loss. No, and I don't think it's ripe. And I think anybody who's going to bring this, is not going to be willy nilly. They're going to have to really think it out. Mm -hmm. To that point, gentlemen, as we close this up, I want to get your closing thoughts, but to that point, how can global legal law firm assist people who've heard this podcast today? They feel like they're being affected by this. How could calling us help, help them out? Well, what I do, what I'm doing right now, and I've been doing for a while is get a, uh, like a one sheet disclaimer that says, you know, Hey, merchant surcharging is in flux. I'm all over it. I'll, I'll make sure our technology is up to date with what the rules say, what our, you know, attorneys say, but it passes a liability onto the merchant and it says, you know, you've got to be running this also in compliance and checking it out and communicating with me and staying in touch. And it's just a one sheet, you know, pass that on to, your merchants, because if they go get that $30,000 fine they're you know, they're the lucky one in, you know, 700 million or whatever merchants, you don't want to have to pay that fee, that $30,000 fine. Yeah. I, look at this point in time, it's kind of early. I, I just think, of, and again, just what James said is rife with problems. Yeah. Is that going to help our clientele? Sure. But once again, we're pushing liability down to the merchants for something that they entirely do not control. Which they don't control. And they don't get, you know, publications related to it. Nobody's really, you know, telling them where the rubber meets the road. They're just getting up every day trying to make a a living, right? I mean, and, and, you know, I, I find it, again, the idea that these organizations can find participants for their use of them screams of like, quasi, you know, quasi governmental, you know, how do you, how do you do this or blackball people from card acceptance without some sort of uh, good faith negotiation, what I would analogize to due process. I, I think ultimately what's going to happen is it's going to have to have a grave impact on the merchants to the point where you get, you know, an uprising associated with it and they, they start to come out of the woodwork because I think they are the, really the class representatives in this whole thing. I think they are, too, even though, you know, I think the ISOs are the ones being the most negatively affected right now. Um, but the other play, it's clearly a technology play, you know, the technology to split the you know debit from the credit. Um, some form of looping, you know, Chris and I were talking about this before of, you know, adding on some fees later things like that. But yeah, I mean, there, it's a software play to get around it. I agree. All right. This has been a fantastic episode. Excellent information. Thank you so much, uh, Chris Dryden and James Huber. And those of you out there, thank you for listening. Thanks everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of the payments experts podcast, new episodes, first and third Thursdays. 
If you're interested in learning more about PEP and how Global Legal Law Firm may be able to assist you, please visit us at globallegallawfirm.com. To schedule a free consultation, give us a call at 888-846-8901 or email us at pep at attorneygl.com. And once again, thank you for listening. One, two, three.